Good morning. My name is Eddie. I'll be doing the second Bible reading from Psalm 6. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you, do, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accept my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Eddie. Uh, you could keep your Bible open if you'd like, uh, so we can work through there. If you're a note taker, you'll find out you'll find an outline uh, in your handout as well. So you might like to open that and to use that. Uh, my name is Ollie. I'm one of the uh, ministers of our church, and Happy New Year! It's great to be with you on not just the first Sunday of 2023, but the first day. So it's uh, great timing this year that the first day is a Sunday, and so we can begin the year how we hope to continue the year that is gathered as God's people. But as we begin, I'm going to pray and thank God for that time, so please pray with me. Great God above, we know that, the, that your words are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. And so as we sit under your word now, would you be at work in us through your spirit? as we consider what this psalm has to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt just completely overwhelmed by something? Even though it was more than 10 years ago, I can still remember my first day working as a school teacher. I'd uh, gone to a private school as a student, as a kid growing up, and then my teaching placements while I was at uni were at quite good schools. And then the first school I taught at, uh, was a school called Hume Central Secondary College. Uh, now, that's in Broadmeadows. I don't know if you know Broadmeadows well, but it's northern suburbs. Uh, very challenging, uh, challenging, shall we say, place to be. And so I still remember walking into the, in the door, and it's like the Wild West. It was like a whole different world. There were physical fights in my classroom. Uh, there were Iraqi students, we had lots of Iraqi students, they'd just stand up, jump up, and start doing traditional Iraqi dances in the middle of the classroom for no reason. I still to this day don't know why they were doing it, but they'd just jump up and do that. I had one student throw a mallet at another student's head. If you don't know what a mallet is, it's like a wooden hammer. If that hit you in the head, that could kill you. Um, and so all of that, that was quite incredible. But the one story that has stuck in my mind is of this particular student. He stole the principal's mobile phone and then called the principal's landline office phone on the stolen mobile phone and told him that he'd stolen the mobile phone. And do you know what the principal said? He said, you can keep it because this student's dad was some kind of organized crime boss. And so the principal was scared of this student, scared of the student's dad. 
And fair to say that that was quite an overwhelming experience for me. I was only 23 at the time, only five or six years older than the students, some of the students I was teaching. And I still remember coming home that first day and thinking, what have I got myself into? I just felt completely and utterly overwhelmed. And I wonder, have you ever felt a little bit like that? Have you ever felt completely and utterly overwhelmed by something? Completely and utterly out of your depth? As we start the new year, perhaps that's actually what you're feeling right now. Perhaps uh, you're feeling completely and out of your depth in terms of overwhelmed by work or by finances or by relationships. There's all sorts of different things we might be feeling overwhelmed by at the moment. But what about this? Have you ever felt overwhelmed by your sin? Have you ever felt the crushing burden of your sin weighing down on your shoulders? When you reflect on the harsh words that you've said in the past and the way that they've damaged relationships, sometimes almost irreparably, when you reflect on those harsh words, have you felt crushed by that? When you think about your pride and the way that it leads you to act in ways that you're deeply ashamed of afterwards, but no matter what you do, you can't seem to kill it. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by that? When you think about the porn addiction you struggle with and how how it feels like in this helpless, losing battle over and over again, have you ever felt crushed by that? When you're consumed by jealousy and envy and and the way that sucks the joy out of good things that happen in other people's lives because you just feel jealous and so you feel crushed by that. See, I suspect that if we all stopped and thought about it for a moment, we all have something. We all have some sin in our life that at times feels like it's just completely and utterly overwhelming. The question is, well, what do we do about it? What can we do about it? That's the beautiful thing about Psalm 6. In Psalm 6, we see what we do with our sin, what we do when we're feeling overwhelmed by our sin. Now, Psalm 6 is one of the so-called seven penitential psalms. It's the first one of them. And in it, we see David grieved by his sin. He's feeling such misery about his sin. He's mourning over it, weighed down by it. Now, it is true the word sin isn't used in the psalm. But that language at the start of rebuke and discipline implies this understanding, this knowledge of sin and guilt. See, David is keenly aware of his sin. And so as we look in on Psalm 6, what we get is a glimpse of what to do when we're feeling overwhelmed by our sin. And we're told three things. The first thing we can do is cast ourselves on God's mercy. That's exactly what David does. He asks God to not give him what he deserves. Have a look at verse 1. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Do you see what David does? He doesn't do what we might be tempted to do. He doesn't claim innocence. He doesn't try and argue a case for why God should spare him. He doesn't try and argue that he actually doesn't deserve judgment. He doesn't do any of that because he knows that he can't. So he's under no illusion. He knows that he's guilty and that he deserves judgment. And so instead, he simply asks God, don't give me what I deserve. Don't pour your anger and your wrath out on me. And this is such an important point for us to be aware of because it's so countercultural. We live in a culture that says sin doesn't exist. 
We live in a world that says we can live how we want and do what we want, that we're accountable to no one, but that is not the reality of things. The reality is that God is the king of the world. God made the world. He made the mountains and the oceans. He made the sun and the moon. He made the birds and the fish, and he made us. And as such, we're accountable to God. He is our king. We owe him our allegiance because we owe him all that we are, including our very lives. God has given us everything we have. And yet, despite owing allegiance to God, what do we do? Well, so often, we've rejected God's rule. We've taken the crown off God's head and tried to put it on someone else's head. We've tried to put it on our own heads. And in a sense, that's the heart of what sin is. And it's a bit like this. Imagine someone who's born in Australia, perhaps down at Box Hill Hospital here, They then went through the Australian public school system. Uh, Fortunately for them, not Hume Central Secondary College, but maybe Glen Waverley Secondary College. They then get a job working in the public sector, working for the Australian government. They get married to another Australian. All of their friends are Australian. But then imagine if a war broke out between Australia and somewhere else, perhaps Australia and Poland. And instead of fighting for Australia, they go and fight for Poland. Instead of fighting for Australia, their homeland, the country that nurtured them, the country that made them who they are, the country that gave them, in a sense, all that they are, they go and fight for the enemy. Now, there's a word for that. The word for that is treason. And actually, I don't know if you're aware aware of this, but the, um, the penalty for treason in Australia is life imprisonment. But actually, in some places around the world, the penalty for treason is death. Treason is a big deal. And in a sense, our sin is treason against God. It's rejecting God as king and making someone else king of our lives. It's fighting for the enemy. And who do we make the king of our own lives? Well, it's ourselves. But it's far, far worse than treason against the government. Because treason against against the country, treason against Australia would be a big deal. That is a bad thing to do. But in one sense, at least, we don't owe Australia everything we are. We might owe Australia a lot, but we don't owe them everything. And yet with God, we owe him everything, including our very lives. And Australian uh, countries, so Australia, sometimes governments make bad decisions. Sometimes they make unwise decisions. Sometimes they act in unjust ways. But God never acts in unjust ways. God is always good and righteous and just. So treason against God is far far worse. And so that's what sin is. And we all know that we're guilty of that because we all know there's times where we haven't done as God has commanded. And so just like David, we're guilty. We can't argue against it. We can't try and claim innocence. We need to simply acknowledge that fact. And then we cast ourselves on God's mercy. That's what David did. Did you see it in verse 2? Have a look. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. So this is the cry of someone whose sin has crushed their pride, whose sin has humbled them. See, David knows his sin, and he knows he deserves God's anger and God's wrath, and yet instead, he simply asks for God's mercy. And then he actually elaborates on that in verses 2 and 3. Have a look. Have mercy on me, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? He talks of his 
bones and of his soul. In other words, his whole being, the, the outer and the inner, the physical and the spiritual. And both are deeply distressed because of his sin. And so he cries out, how long, God, until you have mercy on me, until you ease this feeling of misery and sorry, sorrow. He longs for the day when the suffering that results from sin is done away with forever. So what does David do when he's feeling overwhelmed by sin? He simply casts himself on God's mercy. And this is such a beautiful, hope-filled picture for us. See, we don't need to try and justify ourselves. We can't. We don't need to try and make excuses or dodge the blame. We can't. We don't even need to try and undo our, our sin by working hard and doing good now because we can't do enough anyway. All we need to do, we don't need to do any of that. All we need to do when we're feeling overwhelmed by sin is fall on God's mercy. And it might remind you of the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Natasha read it well for us earlier. Uh, keep your finger here in Psalm 6, but flip over with me in your Bible to Luke 18. So Luke 18 and this is the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the parable Jesus tells. And remember, the Pharisee comes into the temple and he's proud and he's arrogant and he's haughty. He stands up there and he's loud and proud and he, he says to God, thank you, God, that I'm not like these scumbag sinners. Thank you that I'm good. Thank you that I'm righteous. Thank you that you have made me so good. But then what does the tax collector do? Well, he knows he's broken. He knows he's sinful. And so he, can't, he stands off to the side and he can't even lift his eyes up to heaven. All he can do is call out to God for mercy. Have a look at verse 13. This is what he says. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, only one of them went away forgiven. See, the only right response to sin is to call out for mercy. But it's such a liberating way to respond because we don't need to do anything. All we do is cast ourselves into God's merciful arms. But let me ask you this. Why should God listen? Why should we expect that this king who we have been treasonous against should listen to our cries for mercy? Why on earth should we expect that that will actually happen? It's because of God's great love. And that's the second thing that we see from this psalm. We see that in the midst of our sorrow at sin, we trust in God's love. That's what David does. Did you see it in verses 4 and 5? Have a look. Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? See, why should God save him and why should God save us? Well, because of the unfailing love that God has. Now, this idea of God's unfailing love is a key, key Old Testament idea. It's a specific Hebrew word that's used. And do you know how many times that specific word is used in the Old Testament? Around 250 times. And so to help you remember it, I'm actually going to teach you some Hebrew today. So you're going to walk away from this sermon knowing how to speak a little bit of Hebrew, at least knowing one Hebrew word. And so uh, when you go to see your colleagues at work, well, tomorrow's a public holiday. When you go and see your work colleagues later this week, you can tell them you speak Hebrew. When you see your family later today, you can tell them you speak Hebrew. 
And so the word used here is this. Now, uh, that might look a little bit intimidating uh, to look at that, but that's the Hebrew word. And the way that Hebrew works is that it goes from, uh, from right to left, so it goes the opposite way to how we read. And what you've got is those big uh, kind of symbols or letters there, the consonants, and then those little dots underneath are the vowels. And so the consonants there are uh, Ket, Samek, and Dalit. So they, that is a kind of CH, an S, and a D. You can see those dots are the same underneath each letter, so they're both E's. And so it's C-H-E-S-E-D. But of course, we, we, we in English read it the other way, so that's what it looks like. But that C-H is not C-H as in cheese. It's more like a H if you've got phlegm stuck in your throat. So it's kind of like, that's how you do it. So what we're going to do is we're going to say it together. I'll say it first, I'll show you what it sounds like, and then we're going to have a go at saying it together. So the way you pronounce this is chesed. So chesed. So uh, let's, oh, good, you're already going, you're keen, good work. So perhaps I'll count us down, and then we'll all have a go saying it together. So three, two, one, chesed. Good. And so now you know a Hebrew word, and isn't that good? You can go and tell people. But this Hebrew word is a really important word. It's the word for God's covenantal love. The word for God's faithful, unending, unbreaking, permanent love. That's what this word means, and that's the word that's used here. And so it's this promise that God's love will be just like that, never-ending, permanent love. And in a sense, we see a little bit of a glimpse of what that's like in marriage, because what is marriage? It's a covenant, it's a promise of unending love, never-ending love, but not the kind of love you see in rom-coms, not the love of when Harry met Sally or you've got mail, uh, not that kind of lovey-dovey love, but something far more permanent, something far more lasting. The committed love of marriage that says we will be together in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, until death do us part. That is the kind of love that chesed love is, that permanent love. And we'll see that this week, actually, with Em and Caleb's wedding. As we watch them make their vows, it will remind us of God's chesed love. But the thing about God's love is that it can't be broken like ours can, because sadly, sometimes even marriage love, even marriage vows are broken. And that's a sad thing. But that's not the case with God's love. His love will never end. This is a never-ending promise of God's never-ending love. And that's why we can trust it when we're feeling overwhelmed by sin. We can trust in God's eternal, unending, dedicated, chesed love. And David does that even in the midst of his suffering, even when he's feeling overwhelmed. And that's why he continues in verses 6 and 7. Have a look. I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Have you ever felt so sad, so worn down that your eyes hurt from crying so many tears? Well, that's what David is feeling because of his sin. And perhaps that's what we feel sometimes. A heaviness of heart, a sorrow of the soul. We feel like we can't cry any more tears because they've all been cried. 
Our heart can't break anymore because it's already broken. So this is what it feels like sometimes when considering our sin. We feel completely and utterly overwhelmed. But when we feel like that, when we feel at our absolute lowest, then we can cast ourselves on God's chesed love, knowing that this forever, powerful, perfect love found in God is for you. And once we've cast ourselves on God's mercy and once we've trusted in God's love, then what do we do? Well, we have confidence that God has heard. Because did you notice the gear shift in the psalm between verses 7 and verse 8? Verse 7 has such an overwhelming sense of sorrow and anguish, yet verse 8 has such confidence. Why the change? Well, we see it there in verse 8. Have a look. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. See, God has heard, and that gives David such buoyant confidence. It's like a a child, a young child, crying out for their parents in the middle of the night and knowing that their parents have heard and are coming to do something about it. In fact, that's why David continues confidently in verses 9 and 10. Have a look. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. See, David knows that God has heard and he knows that God will do something about it. He even has confidence that God will punish his enemies, those who are seeking to capitalize on his misery. But did you notice something about it? Has God done anything yet? Well, he hasn't, at least not yet. We're not told that God did X or God did Y, simply that God has heard. See, David knows that God has heard, and because of his chesed love, God will do something. God will accept that cry for mercy. But this is where there's a difference between David and between us. For us, things are even better than they were for David. For David, he had the great promises of God. The ultimate promise is that God would bring healing and forgiveness, and he'd seen God begin to work in that. Uh, David would have heard of the promises that God had given to Abraham. He'd have heard of God's covenantal love in action as God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, as God brought them into the promised land. He'd even have experienced God's love to himself. There's a famous passage, 2 Samuel 7, where God promises David that God will make one of David's descendants sit on the throne forever. So David had experienced all of that, but he hadn't seen the ultimate fulfillment of it. And yet we have. We've seen the ultimate outworking of God's faithful love. We've seen it in Christ. We've seen that God gave up his own son for us. We've seen that Christ then died, the penalty we deserve for sin, that we might be forgiven. And we've seen that Christ then rose again triumphant over death to prove that our sins are dealt with once and for all. And so why can we have such confidence that God has heard? Well, because he's shown it in Christ. In Christ, God has given us the absolute guarantee that he's heard and that he's done something about it. See, what do we do when we're feeling overwhelmed by sin? 
Well, we trust that God has heard. And we know that God has heard because we've seen Him act in Christ. And so, uh, today is January 1st, it's a new year, and um, there's one thing at least, well, they say there's two things in, certain, in life that are certain, uh, tax and death, but perhaps a third thing that's certain, that some stage this year, each and every one of us will feel overwhelmed by sin, by our anger, by our pride, by our envy, by our lust, by our greed, by our laziness by our self-worship, by something. At some stage this year, we will feel that burden weigh heavily on our shoulders. The weight of knowing that we have committed treason against our wonderful High King in heaven. That will weigh heavily on us. And in one sense, that's right, it should, because we've committed treason against God. But that is not the end of the story. See, sin doesn't have the last laugh because we know that God has heard our cries for mercy and that in His chesed love, He's accepted them and He's done something about it. And this gives such incredible peace and comfort. That's the peace and comfort that Psalm 6 gives us. And so this year, not if, but when you're feeling overwhelmed by your sin, then why not pray this psalm? Why not go and open up your Bible to Psalm 6 and make David's prayer here your own prayer. When you're feeling crushed and feel that, that weight start to bear down on you, read this psalm. Love this psalm. Own this psalm. Or even better, uh, why not try and memorize it? It's only 10 verses. I'm sure we can, we can memorize 10 verses. But why not memorize it so that it's in our head anytime we're feeling that crushing weight of sin and we can fall back on this? Can you imagine the peace and the comfort that would come if we pray this? And actually, that uh, peace and comfort this psalm brings is actually a little bit like the movie Castaway uh, with Tom Hanks. Have you ever seen that? Uh, Tom Hanks plays Chuck, and, and Chuck crash lands on a remote island. Now, apologies for the um, plot spoilers. The movie's 20 years old. If you haven't seen it yet, you're never going to see it. But he crash lands on a desert island. And in the first little bit while he's there, the first couple of months, the first days, he makes a boat, and he tries to push off to escape from the island. And as he does, he comes to this first giant wave, and it's so big, and on his makeshift raft, he tries to go over it, and he makes it. Just barely, he gets off the other side of that wave. But behind that first big wave is a second big wave. And again, not knowing whether he's going to make it, he gets up, 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 and over the other side, he makes it. But just as he does, a third giant wave comes, crashes and swamps the boat, and sends him back to the beach. And tired and dejected and exhausted, he doesn't leave the island for another four years. Eventually, he makes a stronger, bigger boat, and he manages to make it past that first wave, that second wave, that third wave, and lands in calmer oceans on the other side. And actually, it's quite a heart-wrenching scene, because what he hadn't seen in those first few days was that if he could just make it past those handful of big waves there was a calm ocean on the other side. And I think sometimes that's what it's like with sin. When we're being buffeted by those giant, overwhelming waves of sin, we don't realize that just on the other side is the peace and the comfort that comes from knowing that Christ has defeated our sins. 
And in a sense, what Psalm 6 gives us is a glimpse over those waves, a glimpse to the peace that's on the other side, if we can just get past those handful of waves with God's help. And so, this year, what will you do when you're feeling overwhelmed? Well, cling to Christ. Cast yourself on God's mercy, trusting God's love, and have confidence that God hears because he's shown that he has heard in Christ. And so I'm going to pray and thank God for that. Please um, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you've shown us just how much you love us, just how much you care about us in Christ. We thank you that even though we've committed treason against you, our heavenly King, still you look on us and love us. You love us so much that you sent your Son to die for us, that our sin and shame and guilt might be washed clean. And so when we're feeling overwhelmed by the weight of our, our sin and our treason, would you comfort us in reminding us of Christ? Would you give us that look over the waves to the calm peace that's on the other side, that comes from knowing Christ has dealt with our sins? And would you give us great peace and comfort this year when we're feeling overwhelmed? Help us to see uh, just how much you care about us and just how good you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.